You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the book of Psalms, now looking at Psalms 73 and 37. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Welcome back. On our first four lessons, we studied psalms that highlight God's will, word, nature, and our own importance to have the right focus, both inward and outward. In our last lesson on darkness, we saw, hopefully we felt, that the world is a place of self-interest, of sin. It can get to us, especially if we're not focused. We can find ourselves at the brink of ruin, even in the midst of the assembly, Proverbs 5.14. The word assembly and the word church are the same. We can be in the middle of church and be at the brink of ruin because we've drifted so far. And that's the topic for this lesson on drifting. Hebrews 2.1, don't worry, we'll get to the psalm soon enough. Hebrews 2.1 says that we should pay more careful attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. It's a nautical term, drift away. It applies to boats that weren't carefully tied to the dock. It could just be a a lazy swimmer going with the current, all of a sudden realizing how far from shore he or she is. We can end up at the brink of ruin. Spiritual drift. Are we familiar with this? I think so. So I've titled the lesson, I'm Drifting Away. Well, what's wrong with drifting? Why can't we just go with the flow? Well, because we don't want to go with the flow of the world. We know where that leads. We get to some scary places. When we reject counsel, when we're attracted to money, popularity, fashion, sex, everything the world has to offer, we go into dark places. We become good at rationalizing our presence there. No psalm speaks more clearly of this in my thinking, than Psalm 73. When I was first working on this lesson, and each of these lessons, I spent quite a few hours uh, working the material, rereading. The first version, I wanted to begin with Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, the guy's clearly having a hard time. But I was rereading it a couple days ago, and I just had to admit to myself, there was no evidence that the man was adrift. I considered Psalm 69, which is incredible. That's worthy of a podcast. In Psalm 69, someone is flailing. He's desperate. Uh, The waters have come up to his neck. But he hasn't gone under. And I don't really see that he's drifting. uh, This is an aside, but I think it's important to have integrity when we're choosing scriptures. Not to just pull verses out of context. We find a verse, we say, oh, I like the way that puts it. I like those words. But pulling verses out of context, making the Bible say what we want it to say or what we expect it to say is not the right approach. And even using the Bible to support things we know are true when the passages we've chosen don't really teach those things, that's not right. So if we're going to talk about drifting, we better have the right Psalms. Okay, so Psalm 73, and I'll read and comment. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, 
for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's someone who is a member of the community of Israel. He knows that God is good. He knows it's important to keep your focus and have a pure heart. But he admits that he had, perhaps recently, come to a point where he'd almost slipped. He'd lost his footing. And it happened how? By envying the arrogant. The arrogant are not necessarily people who conduct themselves in, in obviously arrogant ways, uh, in a way that you could caricature. The arrogant are people who think they don't need God. And they will tend to look down on those of a lower class. He envied the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. I talked to a brother who attended an event full of Christians, so-called. It was actually a, a huge wedding reception. 700 people were there, all polite, well-dressed, serving steak and lobster. They had the good life, and they were nice. Oh, they weren't Christians the way we understand Christianity. It was more of a cultural thing, but it was tempting. I remember this brother asking me, now I, I know these people aren't real Christians, but why? It, it, it just seems that they, they have it so good. It's like God's being good to them. And that was a struggle for him. Sometimes I realize in the back of my mind, if I had not chosen the path of church ministry, I could be making uh, as much money as a lot of my peers are making, you know, double, triple, or even ten times what I make now. We can get into these comparisons. Uh, we don't even have to be consumed with envy. If you watch a lot of television, you're uh, potentially a victim of, of this kind of thinking. Because much of the media is geared to tell us why we need more, to in, in arouse in us a sense of dissatisfaction with life. But we could have a better life, we could be happier, we could be like that person if we just had what he has, or whatever product that he's been sold. Ecclesiastes 4.4. Let me continue. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? So our drifting man here is looking at the godless, and he sees that they're in good health. Now, I thought that if you're spiritually healthy, you should be physically healthy. How do these people get to be so healthy and strong? And not only that, they're full of attitude, and they're apparently getting away with it. And you may have noticed those words. I emphasize how would God know? It's not that these people are anti-religion. But it's more, well, why would God care what I do as long as I, I'm a good person, as long as I go through the motions? 
And they said, does the Most High know anything? And they're not saying that the Most High is unintelligent. I think they're saying, what does God know? You know, what do I have to do with God? Why would he care? Why would, why would he be, pay any attention to my behavior? So in a sense, they may be believed in God, but to them, God was unreal. They, just not in their equation. Let me continue the psalm. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. <laughs> There's a positive perspective. Every day the guy gets up, he feels like he's being punished again because his neighbors are prospering. They're, they're not putting God first. And they have a sense of being carefree. You know, often we can believe this, particularly if you're middle class and you live in a nice middle class neighborhood and you see people making improvements to their house or getting a new car, um, getting this promotion at work. They're 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 impressing people by their accumulation of wealth, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, as we say, and a sense of them being carefree. You know, they come home from work and they put their feet up and they've got a great life. Well, I don't think we have to look very far in most people's homes to see it's not a great life. It's not a great life if relationships aren't right. With the amount of uh, fighting and conflict, tension, arguments, divorce, abuse, uh, substance abuse. There are a lot of things that go on, even in wealthy neighborhoods, that give the lie to this so-called good life and carefree. Now, I'm not uh, meaning to say that, that no one who's rich is, is happy or that every, people are just pretending, but only that it's rarely what it seems to be. I, I like the way the NIV puts it. It uses that word carefree. You know, oh, I wish I could be carefree. And then he says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. My Christianity is a waste, we might be thinking. I've washed my hands in innocence. I mean, here I am trying to do the right thing, and I'm just getting punished. It's futile. But then he catches himself in the next verse. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. See, he realizes that if he had bought into the world's lie, he would have not only led himself astray, but all who followed him and, and the children. But he says he continued to be very troubled. Is there something troubling you? Is there something that's causing you to... Take your eye off Jesus Christ and, and just kind of long for the world, fantasizing what would it be like if I ended up in this place or with that person or in this position. He says, it troubled me until I entered the sanctuary of God. It's not until we feel God's holiness, his presence, until we're willing to take the time for that, that we can have the right perspective. And then he says, I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, swept away completely by terrors like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. 
In other words, the, the bubble is burst. The brother who went to this huge reception, steak and lobster and hundreds of smiling uh, so-called Christians. Well, it was really steak, lobster and divorce. That marriage didn't last but a year. And I've been to quite a few events like that myself. Highbrow events. Not because I'm important, but I meet all kinds of people in all kinds of positions. And I say, oh, come to this party. You meet the people who are trying to impress and name drop. And you hear about them later on and what's really going on. And it may not be in this lifetime that they're exposed. But ultimately, they will be exposed. It may be not until the judgment day. Is this making sense? This man is reflecting. And I think if, if it's not connecting with you, tailor it a bit to your own situation. What is it that causes us to feel these efforts for my faith are useless or they're not worth the time I'm putting in? I should just cut back. I'll just cut back to, you know, one time a week in church. But God won't know if I only read my Bible now and again. I don't. Why would I need a daily quiet time? Or as long as I'm sharing my faith with some people, can I just you know ignore the challenging people? You know, when, when we are drifting like that, being pulled to the world and its gravity, we are going in a bad direction. We need to come into the sanctuary of God. And I'm not saying that the church is a sanctuary of God. We need to come into the presence of God. And that's what I'm hoping we're doing as we study the Psalms, as we study all the scriptures, to think spiritually. He continues, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He's saying that when he was thinking this way, he was kind of at the animal level. He wasn't being spiritual. We need to go beyond the level of animal comparison. Well, I want what that animal has. And when he's not looking or when he's gone off hunting again, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to get away with it. Uh, you know, when I can, I'm going to take it. And that's the animal level. You know, we eat to live. We live to eat. You've got something. I want it. I'll take it. You know, breaking the 10th commandment. I covet. And then I'll break other commandments and I'll take it and I'll kill. We kind of rise above that level. And then it, the psalm ends beautifully. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalm doesn't end right there, but that's where I'm going to stop. Uh, you may remember that passage from a previous lesson. You see, he's come into the sanctuary of God. He's come into the holy place, and that's changed his perspective. And that's why it's so important to have time to meditate on God's word. Because if not, we won't have the right perspective. We'll be having our brains programmed by the world. We get numb, and we forget that what a dangerous place the world is and the kinds of things that the prince of this world has done. This is Psalm 73. I think it's a, a great passage to share with teenagers. Often people will say, well, my friends don't have to do this. 
or this guy belongs to a different religion. He's a nice person. And it's easy for us to struggle, to doubt, and to drift. Psalm 73, what a great one. Now, drifting can originate in envy, in fretting, in false comparisons. And that's why the other psalm we'll study now is Psalm 37. Now, I'm not playing games, but notice 7337. You just reverse the digits, it's easy to remember. And this is the psalm, uh, I think it'll encourage you. I really, this is one of my go-to psalms. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Now, this is the first time of several that he says, do not fret. Uh, do you fret? And it may be fretting in envy. And you think, oh, I'm just not, that guy's finishing his work. This guy's turning in his term paper. I'm still stuck here. Uh, this guy's got a, a nicer car than I do, or this guy has more respect in the community. We compare ourselves, and we get up all, uh, we get flustered, and we fret. And you notice the words grass and then green plants. So you have this image of, uh, flourishing. And yet, it's one thing to be the tree planted by the streams that bears its fruit in season and, and is always rooted, but the grass comes up today and, and it's, you know, it's, it's brown tomorrow. It's gone. It's quick. So we're talking about what it's going to take for you and me to really flourish. And we need to take our delight in the Lord. So he's saying we need to focus on God. Now, this is not an unconditional promise. Sadly, many people have beat themselves up with Psalm 37, verse 5. You know, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. So they're saying that if you just pray about it, then God will do it. And if he doesn't do it, then obviously you didn't pray, or maybe it was the wrong God, or maybe you're just not a real Christian. We commit our way to the Lord, but I'm afraid we need to connect verse 5 with verse 6. What is he going to do? He will make our righteous reward shine like the dawn, our vindication like the noonday sun. Vindication. Eventually, we will be shown to be on the right side if we trust God. It's not saying that you just get whatever you want when you want it. That would just spoil us. And this is not an unconditional promise. Okay, we need to focus on God. This... Um, leads me to a slight excursion into John 21, 21. Do you know this passage? I think it fits, uh, I think it fits very well with our theme. This is when Peter is with the disciple, it was with Jesus, and then the disciple Jesus loves is, is walking by, I suppose, and we read, Peter saw him and asked, Lord, what about him? <laughs> and Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Okay, let me say that again. 
Peter asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, you must follow me. Let's not uh, get off track comparing ourselves to the next person. To be content to deal with a fretting, we've got to keep our eye on the Lord. So we continue our reading. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Oh, we, we get worked up, don't we? Yes. <laughs> Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. After a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the earth and enjoy peace and prosperity. Oh, does that remind you when Jesus quotes that in Matthew 5? Just do what's right. I think he's saying we just need to do what's right, and things will turn out okay. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. We need to remember the difference in character between someone who's putting God first and someone who isn't. And so outwardly, someone may look stunningly handsome, ravishingly beautiful, may have a a million-dollar smile. But that doesn't mean that what's going on inside matches that. And to me, the public seems to have this fascination with stars and starlets. But these people may be colorful or attractive, but look how lousy almost all of them are when it comes to relationships. They're terrible. You wouldn't want to be married to someone like that. You wouldn't want to have one of these spoiled kids as your child. It's about character. And he continues, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. You see the emphasis on focus? So these people that... We're, we're, we're maybe fretting about they don't have the character borrowing not repaying they're not generous and we could keep going I'm going to read a little bit more because this is very inspiring stuff the Lord makes firm the steps the one who delights in him though he may stumble he will not fall for the Lord upholds him with his hand I was young and now I am old yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. You see, down the road, it's the long-term forecast that looks very different for the righteous compared to the wicked. In fact, here it says wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. There are many passages in both Testaments that say that the end of those who don't put God first will be total destruction. There'll be nothing of them left. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. Beautiful. And this idea of the law being in their hearts, that takes us back to Psalm 1 and Psalm 119. What do we learn from these Psalms, from 73 and 37? Well, I think one thing is that God doesn't discount our feelings. He knows uh, when, when we're drifting. 
He knows when we're getting worked up. And uh, you got to be honest about that. Uh, normally, we, 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 if we are anxious, we, we try to cover that over. Uh, usually in the fellowship, people say, how are you doing? I don't say, oh, I'm riddled with anxiety. I'm fretting because I'm comparing myself to someone else. Uh, you know, people try to cover that up almost at all costs. God wants us. He understands that we have these feelings. He understands where they can lead. Sins like envy and jealousy, coveting. Sins uh, that are rooted in not looking at God, but looking at, at our fellows. Uh, these can really destroy us, ruin relationships. So God knows that we have these feelings. We need to be real about them, just like the psalmist. The psalmist is working through his issues. In 73, he works up to the, you know, he's at the point of, of, of catastrophe. Then he realizes only once he goes into the, to the sanctuary of God where, you know, how close the danger he was. We have to get to that position of perspective. It's the same with Psalm 37. It may not be at the point of disaster there, but there's this fretting going on, this anxiety. Well, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe, you know, may, boy, maybe I'm in the wrong, maybe I'm in the wrong church. Maybe I just need to start my own thing. We get anxious and we compare. The psalmist works through his issues, and many of the psalms are filled with sadness, up to 40%. The psalmist finds resolution by the end of the prayer. Well, by now, we understand how diverse these psalms are. There are all kinds of needs that will be met. And, and we need to benefit from the entire range of psalms. Psalm 37 helps me calm my heart when I'm anxious. And I think that's why the Apostle Peter keeps quoting and referring to Psalm 37 in 1 Peter 3. Because it's a tense situation, there's persecution going on, and it's easy not to keep Christ as holy, and then we back off from our mission. We back off from uh, taking a stand and giving an answer, uh, you know, uh, for the reason we, we have hope. So Peter quotes this for good reasons. Maybe you'd say, well, Douglas, I am so far from sharing my faith with anyone. I am just dry. I'm in the wilderness. Well, how about Psalm 63 for you? David is in the wilderness in the context of this psalm. He's in the wilderness. It's not easy. We're all there sometimes. See, we need to learn to use the psalms to minister to ourselves. Uh, for example, psalms that help me would also include 48. 48 is great for perspective. That's a psalm that I fell in love with uh, as I was walking around the walls of Jerusalem, because that's what's happening in that psalm. And, and I'm, I'm kind of taking in the big picture, Psalm 49, about true wealth and, and how no one can ransom the life of another. And, and don't get all perturbed uh, by these uh, impressive rich people. They're not going anywhere. What is really true is what lasts for eternity. Psalm 50, great perspective on true religion. And, and 51, which we'll be looking at in the next lesson. So for me, 48, 49, 50 are so helpful. 37 bids me calm my anxious heart. Find your psalm. Trust in God. You've got to take responsibility for that. If God seems far away, guess who moved? I love that question. If God feels far away, guess who moved? God's always there, and we need to do what we can to 
sense his presence and, and stop doubting. Thought questions. When was the last time I was drifting? Perhaps it was a time when I lost my moorings. Which Psalms and other parts of Scripture keep me tied into the Lord and prevent me from drifting? Which Psalms do it for you? Do I have an eternal perspective on this world? And do I see the people of this world in perspective as mere men, just human? Can I locate any more points of contact between Psalms 37 and 73? You know, go back and study it more. And how much might I benefit from working through my feelings, my issues in prayer? Prayer points. Well, one prayer, Lord, keep me from drifting. You know, so often that happens when we compare ourselves to others instead of like Peter, you know, just follow me. You know, just ignore that guy. I'll take care of him. You take care of yourself. So we pray the Lord keep me from drifting. When I am drifting, help me to find you again and then prevent me from slipping away another time. Well, that's our podcast, I'm Drifting Away. Psalms picture a humanity that is alienated from God, alienated from one another. Our fundamental problem is sin, and that's the subject of our seventh lesson when we begin an exploration of Psalm 51. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on the book of Psalms. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.